again. We get a little, few lights. There we go. There we go. We have some new, um, or a new volunteer in our uh, sound booth. Jonathan is running slides today. If something pops up here that's inappropriate, please let me know. It's I'm not not going to put it beyond him to throw something up there. This is the guy that when talking about the images of Jesus in the middle of the sermon sent me a text of buff Jesus, wanted me to make sure I wasn't leaving anybody out. So we'll see what happens as we move forward. All right. Um, I'm really excited that so many of our graduates are here. Uh, so in your bag, you have the rules of the red rubber ball. It's a little bitty book, and it's kind of a grown-up version of a Dr. Seuss book, talking about the ups and downs, the good, the bad, finding your place in the world, and seizing your opportunity to live really incredible lives. So you have a little red ball in there, too, to remind you of that and to throw at whoever you want to, but preferably not this morning when you leave. <laughs> Wait till you get home and throw it at Mom and Dad. Uh, there's also something in your card that you can... Enjoy while you're reading the book or just any other time as well. So we're really proud of you. It's a big time for a lot of parents in the room. This is a hard day for some parents. Graduation was and uh, these next steps. How many of you guys are, are leaving? Like every one of you is going somewhere else, right? You're, you're scattering from here. Is anyone staying in Chattanooga? Diesel, that's right. Diesel's going to Chat State and... Ethan will be here for a few months before he's old enough to go into the Navy. And and I, I don't know how I feel about Ethan being in charge of a nuclear submarine. I don't know how I feel about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we need we need to get him paired up with Bruce and Kathleen back there to, to help him through that. But, um, anyways, very excited about where you're headed. And I would just uh, encourage you to know that you leave with a faith community that loves you and is here for you as you scatter to, to different places. But I do encourage you to find a faith community in the places where you go because it is a grounding, strengthening, encouraging group of people to be with. And, of course, we want to see you when you come home, um, but we are super excited and hope that you'll share how things are going, send some pictures. Um, this is just a Man, it's a beautiful time of life when you're graduating high school. The world is wide open. So we're excited for you and for where that's going to lead you. All right? Uh, so today I've got, I told them I have prepared a shortened sermon. No one I've told that to believes me. But I do have fewer notes than normal, so I'm going to do my best. But uh, as we begin, the last few weeks, we've been talking about being rooted what I've been trying to do is, is paint the picture a little differently than we typically look at it because the picture is always bigger than we want to give it credit for. We talked about the gospel, and the gospel is not actually that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's not actually the gospel. I mean, that's definitely part of the gospel. It's a big, big part of the gospel. But when Paul talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, he's referencing Isaiah and Nahum, who are referencing not the Messiah, but they're referencing a time when they are getting, they're able to leave exile and return home. They're actually able to return to the state of which God had granted them the promised land. And Paul was quoting that to say, now our good news is not that we're returning to 
Jerusalem, the good news is that we get to be at home with God again. And the means by which we're able to do that is that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. But when we really talk about the gospel, the good news, there, it's maybe, it may feel subtle, but it's not really subtle. The difference between the good news being Jesus rose from the dead and that we actually get to go home with God. Because if it really is, well, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so we could go to heaven, that is so transparent. And I get to go to heaven, and literally that can, we can live a life and never be changed by God, simply saying, well, great, thank you, Jesus, and we move on in our lives. But what God is actually drawing us to and calling us to is a restoration of the relationship that we have with him that we had in the garden that was lost. It's not exactly returning to the garden. A lot of our imagery of heaven comes from what we kind of think the garden would have been like. But this being rooted in our faith is being rooted in more than simply a grouping of beliefs in which we say, I believe this. Does it really compel us to be changed and to grow and to move? Do we experience Christ on a regular basis? Do we daily in our times of prayer feel that we have actually communed with God or do we feel like we're just exercising something? What is it really? What is this really all about? I want to share um, a really unique uh, agricultural feature in our own country that speaks a lot about once we say, yes, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so we could be restored in our relationship with God, he, Jesus goes on to talk about how we're actually going to live out that life, and he talks about the church in ways we usually ourselves don't talk about the church. But the way I want to talk about the church with you today is not just, well, what is the church, and, and, and what is the church supposed to do, and how involved is the church supposed to be in our lives. I want to share with you the quaking aspen. Now, our most of our weeks I've done a video here. There's been something local that we could go and do something here. And I really thought maybe we could, you know, use some church funds to fly me out to the Rocky Mountains and I could do a kind of a on location video. I didn't think that would go over well with the elders. So um, I'm going to show you some pictures instead. But this is one of the most unique agricultural features in the world. Now, as far as trees go, uh, there are really two when you talk about the oldest in the world that get attention. There's the bristlecone pine that is in the Middle East, and it's expected to be somewhere around 5,000 years old, and it's where we get images of the tree of life. It's If you look at some of our movies when they talk about the tree of life, it really resembles the bristlecone pine. But there's another organism. It's the oldest living organism on the planet. It's the largest living organism, single living organism on the planet, and it's found in Utah. It's the Pando Aspen Quaking Aspen Grove. It's the Pando Quaking Aspen Grove. Now, you've probably seen, put, put that first picture up, Jonathan. You've probably seen aspen trees. They're some of the most beautiful trees anywhere. They have Most of them have this really brilliant white trunk, and in the fall, you'll see mostly if you look up tree, the aspen tree, they're going to show you pictures in the fall because the leaves aren't actually that yellow the rest of the year. But in the fall, when they turn, they turn yellow. And they're just 
beautiful. They're found in lots of different places, but they're found very much around the Rocky Mountains because of the soil composition and the environment. Um, They thrive there. Uh, There is one particular forest of these. It's called the Pando Quaking Aspen Grove and is found in Utah. Next picture. It's over a hundred acres of aspen trees. And what makes this unique is that as they test the, the genetic makeup of each one of these trees, they are identical. Which means every tree is a perfect copy of every other tree in this hundred acre forest. That's why they say this is one single living organism. Now, the interesting thing about aspen trees is aspen trees, an aspen forest can be thriving without a single tree in sight. And that's because what makes an aspen grove so strong and be able to live as long as it does is its magnificent root structure underground. And in some places, these groves will have a root structure that exists with nothing above ground at all. And when everything is just right, the trees begin to grow. This particular one, the Pando Quaking Aspen Grove, uh, is thought by scientists to believe over 80,000 years old. Trees have been growing out of this area of Utah, the same genetic makeup for 80,000 years. Now, next next slide. One of the th- things that we look at when we talk about the church is oh, how does a how does a grove last for eighty thousand years? Singular organ organism that has withstood tornadoes, has withstood high winds, has withstood uh, forest fires, has withstood forestation. How has this survived? And whenever we begin to dig down and understand, well, what makes up a grove? Next slide. I've got this little video that will show you this this tree. You'll notice it's both receiving from the roots and giving to this root system. Eventually, the tree's going to die or fall. They can live up to about 200 years, but eventually it's going to die, and the root system then spreads out, and the exact same root system sprouts new trees. So really, the organism is not what we see on the surface, these beautiful white trunks with these magnificent yellow leaves in the fall. What, what the actual organism is the root system underneath, and it's called pando. Pando literally means to, I spread. <laughs> it literally means I spread. The, it continues to spread. So if a forest fire comes by and wipes out all the vegetation in an area, the root system will then been, begin spreading out into the empty areas, and that's how they continue to grow. Now, I wanted to share these magnificent aspens with you because there are so many parallels we can draw to what the church is supposed to be to this aspen. Now, understand that in all parallels, they break down eventually because we are not trees. But how do we grow deep and how do we live strong? We can learn a lot from this. I'm going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, you can open there. And if you uh, don't, it's going to be on the screen. You can also follow along on version. But Paul talks about the body of Christ in a similar way that we've just talked about this grove. It's this unit, this living organism 
that begins to grow these individual trees. And while we are not perfect copies of each other, Paul talks about the church being one living organism. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Talk about the church. This is what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be like a root system of, of a quaking aspen grove. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made, made to drink of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We talk about it at Pentecost and throughout the year, but specifically that coming of the Holy Spirit to live within us. We are all baptized into one body. We're made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Interestingly, this Aspen Grove has over 47,000 what they call stems, <laughs> trees, 47,000 trees, genetically identical to each other. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So as it is, there are many parts, yet just one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is how Paul talks about the church, this thing that we're a part of, this where we at Journey are a very small part of what's going on in the larger church all around the world that has been going on since Jesus did rise from the dead. It's We're all part of the same organism. We're, it's all one living organism that's been going for over 2,000 years. That's what this is that we do. Sometimes we what we tend to do is think about the churches and what we, you know, just the activities like what we're doing right now. We come and we worship and we spend time together and you listen to somebody and sometimes they go on and on and on. And then sometimes they shorten things up. You know, it depends on how you're feeling that day. But the church is more than that. The church is a, an organism. It's a being. It's something that has a heritage. It has a history. It's, it has people that have gone before us. There will presumably, until Jesus returns, be people after us. We're a part of the story. We're not the whole story. When we look at the whole story of the church, this is the story that Jesus himself was telling even before he was crucified. But it leads us to kind of the questions of, well, what is this thing that helps us to grow? And what is the church? And what does the church do? And what does it mean for us as the church to truly be faithful to what God has called us? Well, we can take some hints from this Aspen Grove. If you don't take anything else away from today that I'm talking about, the church is who we are. 
church is, how we practice the gospel, how we learn, how we show the world what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. That is what the church is supposed to be about. Who are we? What are we about? What is supposed to happen in the world as a result that we're here? And how do we, coming out of this pandemic, how do we reconstitute when it feels like the root system is not as strong as it once was? I I find it fascinating to wonder what happens in this grove when a forest fire comes through. A few years ago, we we made a uh, trip out to California to go visit some family, and we went out to see the magnificent redwoods in California, and they really are magnificent. There's just they are just so enormous, and they are so old, and they are just beautiful. Uh, but they were going through a transition because they had done everything they could to protect these trees, this forest, and they had sprayed the area with. Um, all kinds of anti-inflammatory stuff so that they can't, you know, if the fire came through, it would stop and they would they would take out all the old brush and they would clean it out. So if a fire came through, it would be a break and it wouldn't reach these trees because they didn't want anything to happen to these trees. And what interesting, what began to happen is these these great trees began to die. And so we were there during the transition where they had basically stopped all efforts to, to keep fires from coming in and at times were creating their own fires because they found that there are times that thriving organisms need to have some kind of struggle to continue to thrive. In their case, they needed fires to come through the forest and at times burn up some of the trees to create fertile areas for them to continue to thrive. A lot of people are asking that question about Christianity as we read the news and as people talk about uh, where the church is. And even this week, yet again, other church leaders who do really horrendous things to church congregations. And we wonder, what's going to happen to the this organism that's been going for 2,000 years? Is it on its way out? And the answer, I, interestingly, is uh, maybe in some places, but around the world, it the gospel is thriving. It's thriving. Generally, places where there are lots of forest fires, figuratively, not literally, where the church struggles. That's where the church thrives. Tim Keller is someone I like to follow, and I'm, I'm not Calvinist as he is Calvinist, and his belief that God chooses who's going to be saved and who's not. Uh, he really shares so many wonderful things, and he himself is going through his own time, his own forest fire as he's struggling with cancer. And he shared a study that has been done around the world that says that Christianity is growing everywhere but the U.S. That in just a few years, the largest population of, of Christians in the world will be in sub-Saharan Africa. Not here. The other religion that is growing rapidly is Islam. And essentially, within the next five years or so, in, in our own nation, we, the, the two largest, almost identically sized religious groups will be Islam and Judeo-Christianity. Every other faith is either declining around the world or is stagnant. Christianity is thriving around the world, as is Islam, 
Interestingly, they both come off the same branch of Abraham. Very interesting. So we'll talk about that another time. So why do I share all this stuff with you? We have a story to tell. When we, our story is, Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and if you believe in him and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you will be saved and you will go to heaven one day. When that is our gospel, then it is very easy to live a whole life never talking to God again, other than I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, yay, I'm saved, and one day I'll go to heaven. But I have found in my own life that there's a lot of time between that moment and the time I get to go to heaven. I don't know about you, and I would like for that time to be extended a little bit, right? So I have to wait that long to experience the goodness of knowing God. See, a lot of people, that's exactly what their faith is. They don't have any time that they spend with God. They don't go throughout their day and go, wow, God just showed up. I mean, God still showed up, but they missed it. There's a a relationship. There's something exciting that we have to tell. There's a story that that we have to be about. I was talking with some of our our local pastors this week, and my, my conviction at this time in the history of the church is that we have to remember what we're really about. The gospel is not that we're trying to get as many people into heaven as possible. The gospel is we want people to be restored to the people Jesus cre- or God created them to be initially. When the apostles themselves stood condemned and they were told, you either stop preaching this message or we're going to imprison you or kill you, their response was so powerful. They said this. They said, how can we not speak of what we have seen and heard? You're asking us to do something we simply cannot do. And so the question that you and I have today is this, because they got to watch Jesus bring Lazarus out of the tomb. They got to watch Jesus heal somebody that had been sick or lame their entire life. They got to see Jesus walk out of the tomb after he had been crucified. They got to see and hear things you and, and I didn't get to see and hear, right? So the question for us is, What have we seen and heard that compels us that this is true? That this is life-changing? That we become a new creation as Paul talks about or we are transformed in the blink of an eye? What have we seen and heard? We haven't seen and heard Jesus bring somebody back from the dead. We haven't seen and heard Jesus reach down and somebody's shriveled limbs straighten out and they get up and walk away. We haven't seen that. But have we seen Him in the ways we live our lives each day? Have we seen Him when we spend time with Him in worship and when we pray? Are you ever just sitting down talking to another believer and say, something's happening here that is beyond just two friends getting together and talking? Like, I feel like there's something is here. Someone is here with us. Have you had a moment where you say, I have been forgiven of all that I have done, and it feels incredible. Can we say today, I can't stop talking about this because of what I've seen and heard? See, I think that's one of the reasons that the church exists. It's one of the ways that the, the root system of the church stays healthy in the midst of forest fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and 
deforestation and in our case maybe the pandemic and changing social trends and really poor adherence to our faith who do really bad things in the world and make people believe that we're just a bunch of fakes. See, the church was meant to be something where we we express something. We're growing as individuals. Let me me share these four things and then I'm going to be done. One of the things I think the church is supposed to do is, is what we call sanctification. It is the process of lifelong learning. You know, even medical uh, professionals who have no faith whatsoever will say, one of the ways to get the most out of your life from birth to death is that you never stop learning. When you graduate high school, I I would be curious if we were to ask some of you guys, when you graduate school, because most of you are going to college, when you graduate school and... uh, or in the Navy, you're going to be learning a lot about nuclear, wherever Ethan is. Or you're going to be learning. You're going to have to study and read. But when you don't have to study and read anymore, if you don't enter into a career in which you have to have continuing certifications, or you don't need to read in order to do what you do, uh, most people stop reading. They stop exercising their minds. They stop learning, and that kind of mental lethargy begins to deteriorate who you are, your ability to deal with stress, your ability to deal with life. Even medical professionals who care nothing about Jesus will say, learning for your entire life is one of the keys to a full and happy life. That's part of the role of the church and why we come together here at times like this is it is part of growing, of learning, of changing. And while anyone can do that on their own, God has given the church cause that to happen. And this is why he's saying we've got all these different people with all these different roles and they're all crucially important, but they all do the same thing. They help us to grow and to develop and to grow deeper, stronger, and to learn. Sanctification is really about learning for the rest of your life. For us, if you didn't grow up in a Christian home learning all of the perfect things about Christianity, which none of us did, This learning process involves learning new things, surely. Unlearning old things that we thought were true and aren't true. Relearning things we had maybe learned at one time and we forgot. The whole learning process is really an amazing thing, and and you are a part of that. What we tend to do in the church is we find that one aspen tree in the middle of the forest, and it's a little bit taller and it's a little bit thicker, and we say, "That's that's really the main tree of the forest. And maybe we say that's a missionary or that's a pastor or that's a bishop or that's a whoever. That's not how it works. It's the root system. It's the whole thing. It's the whole body. It's everyone is what makes up what makes the church special. You cannot pull people away. It can't be a worship leader. It can't be the best speaker you've ever heard. It can't be the theologian that you love to read. It can't be the whoever writes the memes that are your favorite memes to share. It cannot be them. It is the body of Christ. And if the root system got messed up, then all the trees above the surface would fall. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we are supposed to be. Sanctification is a huge part of what the church is, but another huge part of what it is, especially in, in, in a time where 
Relationships are stretched, and and uh, conflict is around. It seems every single corner. Like we, we, we have some people we can't even talk to anymore, right? Over what's happened in the last few years, whether we're talking about social issues or political issues or church issues or whatever, we we don't we can't even talk anymore. Or, or if we do, we have those topics that we make sure nobody brings up. Like you have the conversation. Do y'all ever do that? Do y'all ever go somewhere and you're like, get the family together and you say, okay. We are not talking about A, B, or C today. Do you understand me? No one better bring it up. Because we all want to get out of this event unscathed. No, you all don't do that? All right, well, I guess that's just us. I guess that's just us. But you know what I, you know what I mean. You, know how, you feel it. I know you feel it. It's at work. Sometimes it's at home. Or it's family that's not under your roof, but it's still your family. One of the things that we do is, is we, we come together as the body. We don't just come together to, to learn. We come to bet together to love and encourage one another. To get through life together. To say you're not on your own. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. You have us. And I know some of us aren't all that impressive. Like, I get it. You're like, I know, but and, and you're my people, but some of you, I don't tell others that you're my... I get it that we're, some of us are bad apples. I, I'm not the best. I get it. But love and encouragement. It's the idea that we can stumble together and we can get back up together. It's the idea that we can fail together and then we can restart together. It's the idea that when something goes well, we pat each other on the back and we say, great job, way to go, that's incredible, even if no one else even notices. That's what the church is supposed to be. Love and encouragement. For we put each other above ourselves. Henry Nouwen said, community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. It's a community that says, I'm part of you, you're part of me, and I'm better because of you, and whether you will admit it or not, you're better because of me. That's what the church is supposed to be. There is an arm of accountability that comes too when we begin to walk into ways. And again, if we understand salvation simply as God died, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that you could be saved and one day you could go to heaven. Then we look at accountability and we say, you know what accountability is? Accountability is making sure you're not actually going to hell instead. That's kind of what we do. But that's not really the kind of accountability that Jesus talks about. Like, you screwed up. I think you're going to hell now. Like, we talk like that. People talk like that. Christians talk like that. And that's not the kind of accountability that Jesus talks about. Accountability, accountability that Jesus talks about is says, listen, you're headed in a way that's going to bring pain. And, and it's going to take you away from, from what you were created to be and your purpose and who you are in me. It's going to take you away from these things, and it's going to make life hard. We want to draw people back. We want you to, to not, for, not leave your faith and not forget what you've learned and not go into this life that the world experiences that just falls apart. We want you to experience something that is good and to sustain and stay there. Even when Jesus talks about you know people that just walk away, he says our goal is to bring them back, not to push them out. Accountability is a part because we are on this journey together. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time for you all to join me every minute of my life. 
Sometimes I make decisions when you're not around that aren't good decisions. I know you all don't do that, but sometimes I do that. You can't be with me every minute of my life, and I can't be with you every minute of your life. That accountability says, Mark, I think you're making some bad decisions. Not because I'm like, man, I'm so glad to see you screw up, but because there's a better way. Don't leave this way. And then there is our mission. Again, if our if the gospel is Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so we can be saved, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, and we'll get to go to heaven when we die, then that becomes our mission. And you know what? One of the most effective ways we've been able to push people to the goal of going to heaven instead of hell is to tell them how bad hell was. And Jesus never talked about hell in that sense. Hey, follow me or you'll go to hell. Jesus never said that. He said, come to me. This is where life is. Come to me. This is where joy is. Come to me. This is where purpose is. Come to me. This is how it was supposed to be. He never said, are you going to hell? Because if you'll confess with your mouth to Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is in our scripture. But there is so much more behind that than simply saying those words. So many times saying the words is enough for us. Our mission is to flood the earth with the gospel, not the gospel that you're going to heaven or hell, the gospel that Jesus came to take you home. We get to be home again. The idea that we're leaving exile. You and I are part of this, of humanity that is broken. It is irrevocably broken. We are never going to be put back to the place where we were before sin entered into the world. We see that brokenness everywhere. Yesterday afternoon, I got to gather with a lot of my, my fellow pastors and ministers and leaders in our city to do a, a walk for peace because violence is increasing as the temperature goes up. And our hope was just to go and to pray and to bring the gospel in to this community. You're part of this irrevocably broken, exiled existence from what God really wanted for us. We have found something that we have to tell people about because we have been made whole. We have been taken home. How do we do this? How do we flood the earth with this gospel? Certainly we tell the story tell the story about Jesus. We tell the story that he told his disciples. We tell the story that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. We tell the story, though, about the return from exile, the return, Adam and Eve being exiled to the garden, the nation of Israel being exiled from the promised land. We have been exiled and we get to go home. Maybe we don't use that language depending on who we're talking about, but we get the idea across. There's a place for you that you can be loved and encouraged and be whole and have this supernatural experience with God and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. We tell the story, which is important, but we don't just tell the story, we show the story, just as the apostle said, i got to do this because what I've seen and heard, I've, I'm going to love you even if no one else will, even if my other church people tell me not to love you, I will love you. Because that's what God did for me. We show them how we've changed. We show them what is better in us. We show them what the Holy Spirit has done in us. Now, everything I've just said to you, 
The least effective place to do that is what we're doing right at this moment. <laughs> Surprise! But we still do this because this is where we see each other. This is where we worship together, we sing together. This is where we hug each other's necks before and after if you're comfortable with hugging. This is where we say, how did your week go? Hey, you told me this was going to be happening this week. How did it go? Small groups are a great place for us to do that. And while we haven't fully launched back into our groups, we will. And that's a better place to have those conversations, to be able to to talk back, not just to listen to me go on for 30 minutes, but to be able to talk back, to pray together, to be known by each other. When we go out and we serve in the community, that is another way we show what the gospel has done for us and to us, how we're better as a result. What we do here is probably the least effective, and and all the things you could do in the 24-7 days that you have throughout the week. This is vitally important because we need to spend time with each other, and we need to see each other, and Facebook posts and comments do not cut it need each other. Just like this quaking aspen grove, which, by the way, gets the name quaking because of the way the leaves are made. They're very rigid and round. They're brittle and stiff. And if you can look up a clip, when they start, the wind starts blowing and they start beating against each other, they crackle or quake. It's apparently an incredible experience if you're in the midst of it when that's happening. The church is who we are. It's how we practice the gospel. It's how we learn. It's how we show the world what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. That is what we are. And the church is the root system in which churches will come and go. Our church will go. It'll stop at some point. Every church in Chattanooga, eventually it will be gone. And new churches will pop up. That will happen. Just like the aspen grove, when trees fall, new trees are born. Because we are a part of a bigger story, a bigger history than simply what we are, our little band of friends and families. That's what God's called us to be as a community. I look forward to continuing doing that with you. If you're a guest and you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to be a part of this. We are not in any ways perfect. (laughs) But we do love people. We would love for you to be a part of us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I'm just thankful that you have sustained our community throughout this season. I believe you have more than you want for our community than just to be sustained. I pray that we would be able to see and hear in ways that we are compelled to tell others because we can't do anything but tell people what we've seen and heard. I pray that at times when we see a tree go down here and there, we will not lose hope because we know ultimately this is a healthy, thriving body of Christ that expands around the world. Father, help us show others how beautiful it is to know you, that you are the pearl of great price. 
who are worthy of selling everything we have to buy the field where we have found the greatest treasure of all. I pray for ourselves, I pray for our graduates to continue the heritage that we have that Christ has given us through his life, through his burial, and through his resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.